The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Uh, We're glad that you're here with us on a, on a beautiful day. It's a little wet outside, but um, we're thankful again for that rain. Um, but as well, our thoughts and prayers go out to those who have also been affected by the rain. I want to thank everyone who came out to Trunk or Treat last night. We had a great turnout. Um, probably 75 or more people came, uh, several people from the community. So appreciate everyone who helped to put that on. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you could be turning to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read a, a lengthy piece of scripture, but that's important. Uh, one of the things maybe to keep in mind as you do your Bible study is not just to read a verse or two, but to read long sections of scripture. That's, that's how we get the meaning of scripture. That's how we understand what's being said instead of just skipping around, you know, verse to verse. We want to read big chunks of it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 10 and verse 1 and read through verse 31. The word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey... And approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry, For Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be guests. 
And the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. And I guess that's true. Sometimes a picture can do things that words cannot. Uh, this photo of a starving little girl in Africa appeared in the New York Times on March 26, 1993. And it forever changed how people here in America and other people around the world uh, thought of the famine in Africa. A picture can do this. Pictures are powerful. But at the same time, pictures limit our perception. They only tell part of the story. For instance, many of you have probably seen this image before. But are you aware of the story behind it? Uh, the man who took this picture was a, was a man named Kevin Carter. And he sat there and he waited 20 minutes hoping that the vulture would spread its wings. But it never did. And so he settled for the photograph that you see before you. Uh, many people, after seeing this picture in the newspaper, wondered about the fate of this young girl. Uh, the photographers in Sudan were instructed not to touch any of the famine victims. Um, the reason behind this is they did not want the photographers to spread disease to people who were already suffering from lack of food. Well, immediately after taking the photo, Carter chased the vulture away. And in April of 1994, he won the Pulitzer Prize for taking this photo. But he, he did not enjoy it. He was still overwhelmed with guilt because he didn't do something more. And three months later, he committed suicide. A picture gives us a lot of information, but it doesn't tell us the whole story. It limits our view. It tells us some things, but it doesn't give us all the information that we need. Uh, when I went to India several years ago, I took a lot of pictures. I, I wanted to show everyone what I had seen. I wanted the people back home to be able to share in the same experiences that I had. I wanted them to be amazed just as I had been amazed. And one of the things that I discovered is that a picture does not always do justice to what your eyes have seen. Uh, I saw many things in India. One of the things I saw was Gokanda Fort in Hyderabad. Uh, that's the picture up on the screen there. And this was a magnificent structure that was constructed in the 900s. And I took many pictures, 
but none of them did it justice. When I was there, I could see these massive walls that had been built by hand. But in the picture, it just doesn't look as impressive. There's more to, the fo- to this fort than what the picture allows. Um, you know, if you go and see it in person, it's, it's bigger, it's, it's more impressive. And, and the pictures are just a, a glimpse of what it is like. But you really need to go see it with your own eyes. And we do this when it comes to religion. We create a picture of what God is like in our minds. What we do is we put God in a box. And this helps us to understand him because God is so much bigger than we are. The problem is that we often paint God out to be like ourselves. And so we have a distorted picture of God. Um, if, if we don't do this, uh, our view of God is still limited. And we see this over and over again in the book of Acts. In fact, we see it very clearly in our text this morning. Peter thinks he has a good idea about who God is. He thinks he knows what God likes. He thinks he knows what God dislikes. He thinks that God likes this kind of food, but not this other kind of food. He thinks God likes these people, but not these other people. And Peter's view of God is limited to a set of ideas. Uh, These are things that he has grown up with. These are things that he, he has taken from the Bible. But God shows up and he quickly pokes holes in all of Peter's ideas. God is much bigger than Peter ever imagined. How does all this happen? Well, it begins with a man named Cornelius. And he is described in the text as a devout man. He was not a convert to Judaism. He was what Luke and others call a God-fearer. And this basically means that he respected the Jewish traditions, but he was not willing to go far enough to convert. He had not been circumcised. But God doesn't seem to be very concerned about this. Um, He's highly spoken of in the text. He's called devout. But what does that mean? You know, we define what it means to be devout or righteous in different ways. If we were to take a survey uh, just this morning of what it means, then we would come up with different answers. People would say different things. But Luke actually tells us what it means in the text. And not just once, but uh, two times immediately, he actually refers to it again a third time a little bit later on. First, he mentions it in verse 2, and then again in verse 4. He says in verse 2 that Cornelius gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. In verse 4, an angel says to Cornelius, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And so this man, who is neither a Jew nor a Christian, is heard by God. He's an outsider. But his giving and his prayers are noticed by God. If we want to be considered devout by God, then we need to begin right here. We need to begin with giving and prayer. These are are two things that are dear to the heart of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God is very concerned about what Israel gives to widows, orphans, and foreigners. And he's displeased 
when Israel stops giving, when they stop taking care of these people. In the New Testament, Jesus gives us a picture of what the judgment will be like. In Matthew 25, he talks about different ways that we give. Have we given of our means? Have we helped the poor? Have we um, helped to clothe those who are in need? Have we given of our time? Have we visited people in prison? And these are the things that he lists. These are the things that are important and pleasing to God. He's also interested in prayer. But not just any kind of prayer. God is not amused by prayers that are offered to be heard by others. He's not interested in people who are trying to impress with their prayers. But instead, he's interested in honest and genuine prayer. The book of Psalms is full of prayers where people just pour their heart out before God. And these prayers are not always pretty. Some of them are not the kind of thing that we would pray in church. But God chose to preserve them because these are the prayers that he listens to. The Apostle Paul, in nearly every letter that he writes, begins with prayer. And so if we want to be pleasing to God, then we need to spend some time on our knees. Well, although Cornelius is an outsider, although he's not counted among God's people... God recognizes that here is a devout man. And he chooses to work in his life. And so Cornelius is devout, but that's not the only description that we have of him. He is also a Roman soldier, a centurion. And this is quite significant. This isn't something that we just skip over. Uh, When the Gospels open... The people of Israel are looking for a Messiah. Why? Why are they in need of someone to come and rescue them? Uh, The main reason is Rome. They are being oppressed by a Roman empire. Roman soldiers are stationed in their homeland. Rome is the enemy. Rome is everything they hate. And now God sends Peter to go to the house of a Roman soldier. The last time that Peter saw a soldier, he tried to cut his head off and only got his ear. Um, Peter's not fond of Rome, and he's especially not fond of Roman soldiers. And so how does God convince Peter to get up and go? Well, he sends him a vision. Peter is on a housetop, and he's praying, not just a Two or three minute prayer. Not just a little prayer. I mean he is really praying. He's praying so much he gets hungry. And the next thing he knows. He's dreaming about a a giant sheet. That's coming down from heaven. And on that sheet is every kind of animal. You then get uh, one of the greatest lines in the Bible. Rise Peter. Kill and eat. And everyone who is unfamiliar with where their food comes needs to meditate on that scripture for just a little bit. But Peter's response to all this is a resounding no. He will not do it. And we might be confused about this. Why would Peter refuse a command from God? 
It's because he and the others did not stop being Jewish after they were baptized. Peter and all the rest of the disciples are still observing the food laws in the Old Testament. They're still going to the temple. They're still observing the customary hours of prayer. This is what Peter's doing when he receives this vision. And Peter does not want to violate any command in Leviticus. And we're never told that he does. Nowhere does it say that Peter ate anything unclean. But this message has a bigger purpose. It's not about whether or not a person can eat bacon. It's about the Gentile family that Peter is about to meet. And so we're told in verse 16 that the vision has to happen three times. Three times Peter receives this vision and he's still perplexed. In verse 17 it says, he does not know what it means. Again, he is not about to violate the Jewish food laws that he's still observing. The Spirit continues to guide Peter and things become a little clearer when Peter meets three messengers who are, are come from the house of Cornelius and they take him there. And when he arrives, Cornelius is able to tell Peter about a vision that he had. And, and Peter's probably still a little bit confused about what's going on, but he cannot deny that this is the work of God. And so he begins to preach to them. And as he is doing this, the Holy Spirit falls on them, falls on all of them. And Peter then says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then they were all baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And when Peter gets back to the other Jews, this happens in chapter 11, the word has gotten around. They've heard about what has happened. And they don't like it. What's interesting here is they're not concerned about Gentiles being baptized. They're not concerned about Gentiles speaking in tongues. What they are concerned about is Peter, a Jew, eating with Gentiles. They're concerned about Jews coming into contact with people or things that are unclean. And so in Acts 11 and verse 3, the Jews say to Peter, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? You did this? The issue is not baptism. The issue here is table fellowship. Who are you going to eat with? Peter and the other Jews are beginning to learn that, that God is bigger than they had imagined him to be. And this is not easy for them. They'd grown up with these laws. Uh, there were certain things that they had never touched. They had never ate in their life. And they likely continued these practices. Um, I doubt that they gave them up. We have no evidence that they did. Uh, they, they probably kept on avoiding pork and shellfish and everything else that's mentioned in Leviticus. And God does not want them to violate their conscience. They can keep on eating what they want to eat. That's not important to God. But God is very concerned about who they will eat with. They cannot use these clean, 
and unclean laws to avoid sharing a meal with Gentiles. It will not be accepted. And this is what Peter's vision is all about. Table fellowship is more important than food laws. And so God enters Peter's world and he turns it upside down. And he challenges what Peter believes about God. And he lets Peter know that that he's bigger than Peter's ever imagined him to be. His plans are bigger. His mission is bigger. He's going to people and places that Peter had never imagined God going. And this is huge. But it's not easy. In fact, Peter's vision happens three times. And Peter's still leery. He doesn't want to change. He's content with things just as they are. And so God has to keep on pushing Peter and pushing Peter before he finally gives in. The story of Peter and Cornelius is told two times in the book of Acts. Why? Because we're just like Peter. We're hesitant to change. We don't want to step out of our comfort zones. We don't care if God's calling us or not. You know, he can send a vision. I'm still not going to do it. That's what Peter says. He's, he's just seen the vision. He's just heard the voice of God. And he says, no. We like tradition. We like things to say the same. But sometimes if we're going to reach people that God wants us to reach, then we have to leave what we're doing and we have to try something new. If we want to grow If we want to reach people for Christ, then we may have to do some things that make us a little uncomfortable. We may have to abandon some traditions in order to reach the lost. At the heart of this message is table fellowship. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. Cornelius and his family are baptized. They become Christians. They're welcomed into the family of God. But unless they are accepted, it will not matter. There can be no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are all equals. And one of the ways that we profess this is by sharing a meal together. And so we do this every Sunday at the Lord's table. Uh, We do it on days like today where we're going to have a potluck meal after services. But this is also a practice that we need to be engaged in outside the walls of this building. We need to be involved in Christian hospitality. We need to open our homes and we need to invite people in. We need to do this for our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as people who do not know Christ. Jesus reached out to people by sharing a meal with them. The early church became strong by eating together. And everywhere that you look, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, they're eating. They're sharing meals. So what is holding you back? What's the one thing that makes you uncomfortable that you just need to overcome? This is important. Uh, God asked Peter to do something that he had never done before. He asked Peter to share a meal with people who were ritually unclean. Why? 
Well, because this is love. What does love look like? It's when we put our wants, our desires, our feelings aside. We quit thinking about ourselves, And we do something for someone else. That's love. We show them hospitality. We welcome them as they had never been welcomed before. Gentiles had never received this kind of welcome. But Peter offers it to them. We become Jesus to the people who are right in front of us. God wants to turn the world upside down. But this is not limited to the people outside these walls. God comes to Cornelius. He changes his life. But he also changes Peter's life as well. Don't think that just because you come to church every Sunday that you're safe. Because God is constantly challenging us to get beyond ourselves and to reach people who are not like us. And so I invite you this week to be challenged. I invite you to see God in places that you've never seen him before. I invite you to do what we see here in the text. To share a meal with someone that you consider to be an outsider. Someone that you may not normally share a meal with. Someone that you may not normally speak to. And I invite you to have your world turned upside down. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time thanking you for this opportunity to open your word. And we thank you for speaking to us through this word. And we recognize that often what we read is not easy, that it is challenging, that you are asking us to break free from our comfort zones. You're asking us to do things that uh, we normally don't do. And we profess that we're a lot like Peter. We hear this and our first response is no. We don't want to do it. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to try something new. We like our world the way it is. Father, I pray that we hear your voice this morning and that we don't listen to our own voices. But instead, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow in the footsteps of Jesus who gave his life for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.